0: Hello and welcome back to the Christian Reeve podcast. I have a very fantastic guest for you today. But before we get into all of that, just, just want to say a massive, massive thank you for everybody listening and watching the show. I've seen the numbers increasing and it's really, really cool to see. And uh, yeah, many more shows coming your way at the end of this year and in the coming year. So another thing as well, if you haven't already, please drop us a review on Podchaser or whichever platform that you're listening to this on. So that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show, please leave us a review. It really, really helps us out. And also, of course, promote, f- throw us around on the internet, share it with your friends, let, us, let the world know about the show. And uh, of course, you can help and support the show by subscribing to Patreon, patreon.com slash Christian Reeve. Now, are we done with the plug? I think we are. Let's introduce our guest. Our guest today is a UX designing specialist, a GUI designer and CEO of the Creative, I think I've got this right, Navy UXI Agency. UX UI Agency. His name is Dennis Leonard. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good. It's great to be here. It's
0: a pleasure to have you here, man. Um UX and UI design is something I have never kind of like personally sat down and done myself I am aware of what it is I worked in the marketing sphere at one point in my life so I would I say collaborate with people that would work in that sphere so I have like a rough understanding of it but in your own words how would you define UX and UI
1: well I would say uh, you know let's come in from the angle that everybody knows which is just the the look and feel of anything that is uh, digital, let's say. And of course, most people interact with a website. So when you say design, that's what they would think about. Um, But there are a lot of other things as well, such as medical devices or, you know, when you're trying to use your online banking, that's a more serious system, so to say. And most people think about design in terms of this, but what it looks like when, when I see it, when it comes up on my screen, um, and that's UI design, so that's the user interface design or the visual design, if you will. But behind that, there is another layer that is somewhat more conceptual. Because before you can really think about what's the shape of a button or what's the color of a particular field, you would have to think about what should even be in this particular page or what should a particular process look like so that people can actually get from A to B. And that's the process of user experience design um and usually you would do that with uh, without any colors because you would want to get it right without any aesthetics or without any distraction um there is always a gray area and these terms are abused all the time so there is really well, it would be nice for there to be a uh, right and wrong but uh, you know what it is like with with new words um but that's what we do we we think about the process someone someone should go through and then we get all the point to the, um, to the aesthetics.
0: I've always been interested about the kind of experimentation aspect of UX and UI design. Like, obviously, I suppose in a way you are, I mean, you're always testing it. You are yourself a user in a sense because you are testing out this application. And, you know, eventually, as you said, one day people for example, might be using it in the medical industry. And so patients might be using this particular interface. So you have to kind of, I suppose, look at it from the perspective of what is the easiest, most simplest way I can design this or, well, it's kind of phrase, the most user-friendly way to create this. Um, do you kind of have to get other people involved in that process or is it quite easy to just put yourself in in the place of the the user, if you, if you see what I'm saying.
1: But the thing is, both of them are very, very important. You, you wouldn't really be able to do it with just one of these methods. Um, obviously, if you ask people what they need and so on, that is very helpful. And sometimes you will be surprised because they will tell you things that are very different from your own perspective or from what you can imagine. And if you speak to a large number of users, you will see that and also you will notice different patterns. So you'll come to discover that there's uh, not just one right way of doing it or one preferred way of doing something. There might be a number of these. Because that's, that, that's one of the challenges, you know, when you sort of think about it for yourself and based on your own intuition, you think of one possibility, and it, it might be a great one, um, but the world is so much bigger. And so you have to take all of that into consideration. But at the same time, if you were to just uh, design it by committee and just by what users tell you, you would arrive at something that doesn't make any sense. So there is a lot of, um, let's call it flair or or experience or whatever it is that that you have to bring into this to judge what is more important, what is less important, what really makes sense from the feedback that you get. Because you have to keep in mind, a lot of the work that you would do in this area with feedback from users is uh, qualitative. Mm. That means you, even though you have sort of insights from the research, you haven't collected them in a way where you can say, well, yes, this definitely represents reality. We're sure of that. It's very difficult to achieve that standard, even in, in medical research, um, with UX design, it would be close to impossible to get to that point.
0: Let's explore a little bit about the company that you're doing a lot of your work with. So walk us through UX design for medtech.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. So we, focus on a lot of these um, serious and difficult systems, I would call them, or sometimes we just say complex, but what does it even mean? But the point is, you know, by now, everything that we use as individuals, as companies, organizations, governments, and so on, has a digital component to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I think we've long passed that point. And so now we have to rely on these systems, but there's been such a rapid progress, there's never been really time to think about the user experience of these things. So we have systems that, on a software level or hardware level sort of work, more or less, let's say it's okay. A lot of people have to sacrifice their lives to keep it going at this bare minimum level, but it is what it is, it's okay. However, this user experience um, level hasn't really been finished. It has been perhaps with anything that's marketing, because that's where all the money goes, Hmm. or some of these, uh, let's say consumer-oriented applications that are very popular because there there was time and there were resources to improve that. But in the um, critical sectors, actually, there hasn't been much movement. Um, And so that's um, what we focus on. And um, we've been doing that for almost 15 years now. We were actually one of the first um, companies to focus on usability for these digital systems.
0: Particularly interesting in the uh, medical industry, because, I mean, I have a little bit of experience in this area, actually. There was a company that I worked for about a year ago now, and uh, it was like the one and only sales role I was ever involved in, but it happened to be for a medical company. And uh, so I saw their interfaces and the thing, different things they were using. And <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for other countries, but I know here, here in the UK, we've got quite a... I'm going to put this archaic system for for medical um appointments and such we are very very slowly migrating over to a system where you know you would arrange appointments via an app something like that but we still have the classic and i don't know who decided that this process was a good process whoever created this you suck but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the idea of bringing up a doctor's surgery at nine a.m. and essentially just rushing and hoping that you get an appointment—that's still in twenty twenty-three an actual the main way that we arrange appointments in in the UK for medical situations. Um, however, increasingly we are seeing the use of these interfaces and systems, these apps, and and I mean they are getting better. I've I've seen some some companies who who've made them. Really, really easy to use, and I think a lot of the time you have to think about who. Obviously, it's it's an obvious. It, a lot of the things I'm going to say today are like really stating the obvious, but I think it's important because at the end of the day, you like I said before, you want it to be as simple as possible, right? Less is more, even because your everyday user, especially let's say like a user that's in uh, 60s, 70s, right? They don't want a lot of like hassle and, and stuff they just want something that's very simple like okay i put this information in i view let's say an appointment list i choose that and then it's done like you know as fewer steps as possible quite simple easy to read etc right these are a lot of the considerations i would say from my experience would be the um the things you would look out for but Since you are the expert, I want to kind of understand from your perspective, what do you think of the fundamentals of good UX, UI design?
1: Before I get to that, you you reminded me of um, of two things, actually, and they're very relevant in the medical field, because the idea of the user playing a role or sort of let's consider whether people actually matter in this whole thing. Uh, that's something that actually started in the medical field. There is a thing that used to be called human factors in this Uh sector. Um, And that was people thinking about a medical device and considering, first of all, whether it is safe. And that started in the 50s, in the 60s, so a very, very long time ago. Um, And we have ISO standards that came out of that. So, you know, very serious stuff. And if you create a medical device, you have to have it certified that it passes... All the requirements for human factors and so on um, so that was a long time before the internet before the idea of user friendliness and so on um, but despite this medical devices are still horrible uh, their, their user experience is um, it, it's nothing i would say so it's it's i think this is interesting the fact that it started very early but didn't go anywhere um, and i think one of the reasons for this is that there wasn't really an ambition with that they just said, let's make it barely safe or, you know, companies then say, OK, well, if you have to make it barely safe, we actually just have to make it barely pass certification. It doesn't have to be actually safe. It's just we need to be able to put a stamp on it. That's all we want. So it didn't go further than that. And of course, now, because everything is changing and uh, the medical sector is also changing and people feel the user interface. Um, and then they say something like, let's make it simple. It's it's obvious. Everybody knows it. Let's do it. But then you actually start doing it. What happens is uh, it turns out to be very, very difficult and frustrating and unpredictable. And so what the business does in that case is it compromises or an organization is, particularly larger organizations are great at making compromises and, and uh, basically lying to each other in the project team that it's good. It's good enough. We didn't have a choice. We made it bad, but it's. I don't know. So this happens every day, every day, every day, every day. And then you end up with something like you have to call the doctor in the morning at 8 a.m. because that's the best people were able to do. And so I think in this field in particular, if, you, and, and this is particularly true of um, these complex or difficult systems that involve a lot of people, um, you have to sort of dare to, I don't know, sort of go outside the usual process or outside the usual, just shoulder shaking, um, and really try to create a good product. I think that's also why when Apple first came out with something that was really interesting and you could see that they made a huge effort, everybody was surprised and it became something that's inspirational perhaps, um, because they broke out of this mold. But still today, it's very difficult to break out of that mold. And so that's what I would, it's difficult to say what is great UX, I mean, you could formulate a lot of principles, but they don't mean anything if there's nothing uh, there, there, there's nothing substantive to it because the principles always lead to something else in practice. And the thing that makes it be user-friendly is that process where you translate the principle into something that is exactly what users need in this particular situation.
0: No, I, That's okay. why
1: when you, yeah, with these systems, you have to um, understand what people, truly do with the systems because it's going to be very different from what you intend them to do and uh, that's not wrong you just have to work it into your process.
0: Yeah this is a solid point actually because I mean you are saying essentially like two things there like one if it's written on paper in practicality it looks very different and secondly and perhaps more importantly how the end user actually interacts with it because sometimes it's unpredictable isn't it like you might program it a certain way and then the user just uses it in a totally different way that you hadn't anticipated and perhaps you don't want them to use it in that way but they are and now you're like hmm okay well we can either choose to work around this or forcibly remove the ability to interact with it this way but either way it's gonna create more work and um, it may or may not be a good thing I mean I, I don't know it's but the best example I can give, which okay, it's not related to medical care, but it's I've always found it quite interesting as as like a a company that like pretty much always changes their the UX UI design. So Facebook, I feel, is a really really good example because I, I I've lost count of how many times they've changed the look and the feel and the vibe of the app and everything and. I mean, you see it a lot with Instagram. They'll just throw things randomly in different parts of the screen. And I know that they're just doing it to test things out and see, okay, maybe it's better here, maybe it's better here, you know, or maybe they are trying to actively push certain things. Like when they released their Reels product, they were obviously doing that. But with Facebook, I mean, I don't know, it's a pretty clear system. It's this endless scrolling cesspit and you, you know you 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 interact with it and that's pretty much all you need I mean yes there are many other things you can do with it but that's kind of the the be end all, and all of, of that particular app and there's been certain designs they've had over the years that a lot I I was like okay this is good I like this maybe I even prefer this and then there are others where you know you log into the app and it looks totally different and they don't warn you they just change it one day and and now it's Perhaps not usable or it's just really frustrating like i the problem i often find and i know this is by design and it's really infuriating is these days with their settings it's really difficult to find certain things like let's say in the privacy settings Mm -hmm. area or anything you want to change if you want to delete your facebook for example that's near impossible um a lot of the time I have to go on Google and like just find out like a step-by-step process of how to do that because it's not clear within their app and when I said like it's done by design it's because yeah they don't want you to delete it or they don't want you to do a certain thing or they want to make it as difficult as possible to do that to prevent you so that you'll probably just get fed up and won't bother doing it. (laughs) and I don't know I find that really infuriating but I understand why they do it and I think it goes back to your point previously about how you can design all these different things but ultimately there will be business decisions that will override that so it could be this is how much we're willing to invest in this or this is what we're willing to put into this particular app but you know, you might have great ideas. Your team might have brilliant, excellent ideas that might completely transform the product, but it all comes down to whether or not the top heads want it that way.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I mean, I I have a lot of empathy for, this is all our budget or even this is not important to us. Usability is not important or not that important. (laughs) I accept that. That's fine. Um, Perhaps it will be more important eventually, or who knows um, what I don't appreciate at all is of course, all these uh, evil design methods yeah. where you're trying to to manipulate people or to use their weaknesses against them. Um, and I think we see a lot of this um, in particular with these very large platforms that we spend a lot of time on and these platforms that aren't really, that don't provide much value to people. So they have to resort to these kinds of um, tricks. Um, and they are horrible. I Sometimes I'm being asked by designers who start out, what should I do if I'm being asked to do something evil? And my response is, look for a different job. <laughs> because it's not <laughs> going to change. You're not going to change anyone's mind. I mean, you can try and you should, but it's not going to work out. And so you should go work for someone who has a, um, something positive to offer. And... The good news is that most businesses, I think, have something positive to offer and they don't bother with these evil patterns. But they don't um, make the headlines and, you know, they're not social media companies. Let's put it that way.
0: One thing that I, I find, I suppose, strange about it is that I feel like if you... Let's say your point earlier about how potentially certain companies might just not care. They might not prioritize that as... You know, maybe maybe it's, okay, this is how much we need to make for this year. We want to keep these costs low. So just make this in this way and that's fine. But then let's say you do that and your app or your interface on your website is just completely unusable to the point where it gets attention online and people are talking about it, but in a negative manner. And they're just saying things like, well, we don't want to use this system because it's not usable. It's terrible. We're going to go elsewhere. This is not the type of attention you want. Some people, (laughs) marketing sales people might say, well, any attention is good attention. I thoroughly disagree with that. Um, Because if there's enough of it, you know, the tide can turn and suddenly people aren't using your product. And then that's very problematic from a business standpoint. And I feel like a lot of the time, if the decision is just, oh, we're just not willing to change this thing long term it'd make more sense to just put the money in fix the issues and then move forward with it you know that that's something I've never quite understood is is this kind of commitment to short-term gain over long-term gain because in the end it's ultimately going to affect you much more if you just don't do it in the, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying right <laughs> yeah
1: well I, I think um there's two ways in which it affects you negatively one is that You're slowly losing market share and that is probably going to be slow and at first you're thinking well it's fine it's just a little it's just a little but you know seven years later you will come to a point where you're saying oh now we don't have much market share we don't have a lot of revenue it's very difficult to make this leap forward now because we don't have the revenue so we're stuck in a difficult position but the other thing is you're missing out on a lot of potential Um, a typical client who comes to us is a business Uh, who say, look, we've had this software for 15 years, 20 years, something. So, you know, really the early days of software, it's it's brilliant, it's really the strongest it can be in its niche. But because it is so powerful and complicated, it can do so much, and it is so old, people are now having a difficult time um, starting to use it. And we have those old power users who are great, but uh the younger people and you know young could mean 40 years old they uh they don't bother because there's competition it cannot do as much as we can but it's a lot easier to use and you know what people are like they want to solve their issue today or tomorrow or at least this week but not longer than that and you know we have clients who have to have a if someone starts to use the software, they group these people together, they meet somewhere, I don't know, in Vienna or in Canada or somewhere, and they have a week long training session. And then after that training session, the feeling isn't, oh great, now I know how to use this. It's, what did I do wrong? Why am I in this situation? Now I have to actually use it and there's no more support because the event has ended. So we we, we transform it from that point and to something where people can learn it by themselves in a matter of hours. and I think is that completely transforms a business because it you can grow many, many fold from that position. There's a, um, an accounting software in the UK. I mean, it's in many countries, but we know it well in the UK, it's called Zero, And uh, they have an interface where if you look at it, it's not aesthetic, it looks horrible actually. But um, if you give it, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, you will figure it out. And from then on, you will be able to, to do this, um, Accounting chore quite easily, and since they've done that, they've they've had a number of tries to nail the user experience, and they figured this thing out. Their business has exploded in a positive way, and um, that happens to to everyone who figures out something that's great in terms of user experience, especially if they also have the backend part, mm. because then they are then they are the the, the leader, and it's all a question of uh, what price do we want this, uh, to sell this at? Do we want to sell it at a high price to only take the top market do you do we want to reduce the price to also get the mid market it's really our decision because we have the best product and everybody wants it
0: yeah no i mean spot on with that and i, I think it a lot of the time in those instances as well it's it's much more important to have a, a product that is more you know has is easy to use versus like how it looks and, and feels like yeah it is going to be a big put off if it looks just terrible but ultimately as you said like particularly people who are computer experts are gonna just play around with it interact with it and find the easiest way to use it and then that's ultimately gonna be the the focal point the thing that draw, draws people in so yeah i couldn't agree more on that one um what well, one of the questions I, I quickly wanted to ask you is you are a gui designer as well can you explain briefly what that's about
1: um So GUI stands for Graphical User Interface, which is actually just another way of saying User Interface. Um, But in this field of devices, so anything that it could be a medical device, it could be industrial machinery, it could be um, perhaps a welding machine um, and so on. Um, People usually call that a GUI. That's sort of the the old way of of calling it. Um, But it's, it's just a user interface.
0: Well, the more you know. Thank you. Um, One thing that you're involved with quite heavily now is AI. And, well, I mean, AI is just taking over the world, really, at this point. Uh, So I I, I find myself, especially with with my show as well, um, increasingly over the past six months, I've been asking more and more people about AI um, because it just directly affects everything and it's kind of impossible to ignore it. But if we're talking computers, it's going to be there in some shape or form. Uh, So... My question to you is how is AI either improving or assisting with UX UI design?
1: Currently um, it it cannot do much in this field. Um, I'm sure it will change, but currently sort of what, what it does is, and I have a feeling that that's true for most applications is that it comes out with something that when you first look at it, you're surprised and you're thinking, oh, this looks like the real thing. But then if you spend another five or 10 seconds, you realize that it's sort of mediocre and it doesn't really apply to the reality either because it doesn't truly understand the reality. So so we're not yet at that point where you can just generate a user interface with an AI. Um, but what I can imagine is that sometime in the near future, whether that's years or, or a lot longer than that, it might be able to um, spit out different parts of user interfaces which would be very helpful because then you could actually start to use those outputs to uh, just play around with them and sort of get a sense of where things could be going because currently we do that manually and it takes a lot of time. What we are trying to figure out is um, a system that uses computer vision to measure the visual complexity of an interface. Um, because humans, they can process a lot of information, but complexity is very challenging for them. Um, and it's very easy to be overwhelmed. You might not really notice that you're overwhelmed and that you're not really processing all the information, but, um, you probably are that can then lead to mistakes or, you know, you, you get tired while using a product and so on. And therefore we want to create you said it yourself a simple user interface but the question is what is simple of course if you have just let's say a user interface with an image and the button that is a lot simpler than the entirety of facebook so it's easy to just use your intuition to to measure that so to say but when you have designs that are somewhat similar it's very difficult to say just by looking at it which one is more complicated and um you cannot do that in a reliable and objective manner. So we are trying to create a measurement tool that can figure it out and we're working on it. We're hopeful that one day we'll really have uh, something that is a true measurement tool, We're not there yet because it's, um, it's very difficult to measure anything. Um, because when you really want to measure something in an objective manner, you would want to be able to say that this corresponds to something in reality, like with measuring length, we have millimeters, we have meters and so on, that's great. We're lucky to have that with something that's obscure saying visual complexity of a user interface. It's more difficult to get to that point, but that's another um, way of applying. um, AI, I think we'll also be able to use AI to measure what users are doing within these systems. We already have statistics and analytics, but they don't really say that much uh we also have screen recordings where you can actually watch real users on a website or whatever system it is do what they do of course it's anonymized because it doesn't really matter who that is but you would still have to review all of these um manually so i can imagine an ai that can tell you something Um, the difficulty is always in what does that something mean and, and I think that's, that's where we have a limitation with AI because we, we happen to be able to create, uh, AI systems that give us a result. We don't really know how. We just look at the result and then still the question is, what does it mean? It's like, I think a lot of people have played with chat GPT and it creates a lot of texts, but the question is always, what does this mean? Because you're telling me something, but is it true? Is it not? Is it the best answer? or not is it complete is it incomplete did you take that into account and we don't yet know
0: yeah the problem i'm seeing in a lot of industries right now is that it's being earmarked as a replacement as opposed to you know an assisted tool which i mean a i don't know why you would want to replace what humans do i mean certainly there's many things it can be used to improve i mean for example if we take something very basic like just a data entry role right where you just have to input a lot of information inevitably humans going to make mistakes because you know we're not we're not perfect you know anyone who's ever sat down and done data entry in their life We'll know, you know, after about five hours, your mind tends to mush. You just don't want to do it anymore, and of course, you're going to miss things. A computer, in theory, will never ever miss anything, unless it is, I don't know, corrupted in some shape or form. Therefore, it's kind of a no-brainer that you know it would be used in that field. Rather bizarrely, right now the focus seems to be more on the creative industries, which. I can see the positives there, but also I can see many, many, many negatives. And in the context of the, the conversation that we're having right now, it, really, it would be best used as, as a administrative tool that can help to kind of speed things up. But as you mentioned before, it's, sorry to put it like this, but it's kind of just like a toy really at this point. And we're just kind of throwing it around, seeing what it can do. And it's like, okay, that's nice. But like, let's just get back to what, you know, how we know it works But the reality is within the next five years or perhaps even sooner than that, it will start rapidly changing certain aspects of these things and probably within UX UI design as well. But it's just we're not quite there yet with that, but we are in other areas. You know, Um, you use ChatGPT as an example. And the problem with that is obviously it's just an experimental thing that, is crawling with information that's a few years out of date at this point but the developments of that system and what it's capable of doing now versus say six months ago are huge and I think a lot of people are sort of looking at that and how much improvement and how things have rapidly changed and they're sort of applying that to other fields and going okay this this potential here this is what we could do potentially with this but again it's all speculation at this point but yeah i don't know it's sorry go on i don't know to...
1: and i was i was just um, going to say that you know ai is great with patterns mm-hmm. um i mean that's essentially what it does so far it doesn't do anything else if you <laughs> want to sort of make a bold statement um But the point is, the things you can do with patterns are a detect them. And I I think AI is fabulous with that. And there are many applications that need just that. Um, And I think there, AI is truly transformative. For example, in the medical industry with certain um, um, illnesses, you have to cultivate uh, cells. You have to create a cell culture to see what comes out of that. And somebody has to look at that under a microscope to figure out, is it this or is it that? Um, you cannot see it with your bare eyes, of course. However, AI can actually do that. It can just look at the whole cell culture without really zooming into a microscopic level and just, it figures out the pattern and says, this is that kind of culture. And it's a lot more accurate than the whole process of looking at it under Microsoft uh, microscope and so on. So that's pattern recognition. I think there it really helps because it's almost free and so um, that that's a huge benefit. The other thing you might want to do with a pattern is, say I have this pattern, I want you to generate more stuff based on this pattern, which sometimes is um, very useful. But I think uh, where it's sort of going to bite back is where, because we're such lazy, animals will use it to generate a lot of things where we shouldn't use a particular pattern but it's just easier to rely on a pattern on a recipe and so everybody will do the same thing Um, and when everybody does the same thing and uses the same pattern the value of that pattern degrades quickly i think that's where when ai will get to a point where it will be really good at generating things based on a pattern so where the output is actually going to be the right thing so to say uh, I think there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm and three months later, we realize everybody, everything is the same now. And because it's the same, it's not what we need. And every time we've copied this pattern, it got degraded a little bit, a little bit, it got dumbed down, it got dumbed down, and now it doesn't do anything anymore. It's so, sort of like with vegetables, you know. We have a lot of vegetables now. It's You have uh, avocados and everything all day round. They're great. Um, but you cannot, you have to eat probably four kilos of that vegetable compared to, the same amount of nutrition you would get from let's say the same tomato but grown in, in more organic conditions because it's just you buy the shape of it you buy the thing that is easy to replicate but you don't really buy the value of it because that comes out of the whole process of engaging with it that's also sort of the same principle that i mentioned before with ux where i was saying well you have general statements about ux but where the value comes from is where you adapt those to the actual use case and i think that's something that AI is not going to be able to do very soon because it requires the human touch. And even for humans, it's difficult. I mean, it's not like we just, you just have to be human and you're going to do it. No, you have to be a human who suffers and who goes through a lot of pain for many months to figure out what the real thing is that was needed. And then you're going to offer value. So that's where AI won't be able to replace that. But if it can help us, and I think it will help us with limited tasks, that's great because we'll be hopefully able to turn that into something good. And some will use that to provide more added value. Others will just use it to hide that they don't have any kind of value. That's that's how it always goes, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you, you could see it as well. Like, I mean, on a very rudimentary level in, in the marketing industry, um, there's already people that are, you know, creating articles purely using ChatGPT or, you know, there's YouTube videos being created now that are completely AI generated. And you can tell, you can tell because they're all terrible and very basic and there's just no soul to them. There's no, it's just samey, 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 very, very basic stuff. Um, But I want to just briefly touch on what you said there towards the end there, which I think is solid used as a kind of administrative tool in addition to the efforts of the human being it can be brilliant amazing even you know like to use a kind of a a nerdy reference here like I always look at it like Tony Stark in in the Iron Man movies with his user interface system and and, you know like he's, he's the creator still he's in control but he's throwing ideas and he's like, okay, well, let's try this scenario, and and the computer makes the model for him, and then he looks at it, and he's like, mm, okay, we'll be tweet this, tweet this. That would be perfect. That kind of a system where it's like the merging of human and AI together, creating things. Right now, we're in a very kind of scary situation where it's like AI. It's not doing it, but it's threatening to change and replace everything so that humans just don't need to do anything which I, I don't know I think for many of us that's problematic because it's yeah you know, it's not all just about um you know trying to make life easier it's also like you know humans we like to build we like to create things we like to tweak work on things I mean that's kind of what UX UI is all about really uh when when you break it down it's playing with a system and and trying to kind of Isolate what's good about it, what's bad about it, what's the best way that this can be used, you know, um, and improved for the future. And one of the key things you mentioned there, which I think is a really, really amazing point as well, is that yeah, AI can't really look at it from a human perspective and go, "Well, these are all the problems," because it's not the human. It's not. There's there's things it's going to miss because it's going to throw what it thinks is the most logical solution to the problem, but that doesn't always equate to what the user actually wants. Sometimes there's things that you discover by surprise people prefer. Maybe even, I mean, I've seen this before with certain apps as well. There's uh, sometimes something can be much more complex, but people prefer it that way for, for whatever reason, because it's it just, I don't know, just well, more user-friendly maybe. I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a strange one, but you know human beings are strange really like the way we interact with things and what we prefer and what we don't prefer and everything it's it's interesting it's interesting stuff um one question I wanted to ask you throughout everything that you've kind of done in your career what would you say has been the kind of biggest challenge that you have faced and how did you overcome this challenge
1: well I, th- I suppose the biggest ones I haven't uh overcome and i might not i might never be able to um but i i I think if you if you look at it um or for a very long perspective of time um the biggest challenge is of course to to persist i think um because the most valuable things require a level of persistence that is definitely out of your comfort zone but i was going to say it's inhuman but who knows what that means but the, the point is it, you know everything that's worth attaining requires such a level of effort that it, it feels like maybe it's not really worth it so where you doubt that i think that's the the magic area but there's no maybe you get used to it but then you just you become uh able to do even bigger things let's say so you're you're always faced against that and so there is no magic uh, wand and every time you get to that place it's difficult. And I think always keeping at that is the big uh, challenge, but it also comes with uh, sort of the other side of the coin where if you've overcome a challenge, it feels great. And because you've made such a huge effort, you're thinking, oh, you know what? I like this comfort now. I don't want anything else. I don't (laughs) want those emotions I had before. and and I think that's something that um, I'm still struggling with, and I'm sure I will. I mean, all, all the old people I know who I uh, admire and who I see doing great things and who who look like they've overcome this, they're still st- still struggling with it. Uh, when they're honest, they honestly say that, so um, I don't have high expectations. Um, but that's um, that's the big hurdle, I think. What changes, however, um, is that you're struggling with. Um, different kind of discomfort. I mean, what, what makes me feel uncomfortable now is probably 100 times bigger than what made me feel uncomfortable 10 years ago. So let's say the type of challenge or the size of challenge you can deal with um, evolves. So in that way, there is progress, but you're never it's never going to be feel good. It's never going to, to feel good if you're doing useful things, let's say.
0: Yeah this is something I've been thinking about a lot over the past year and I remember reading something recently that connects with what you said quite quite well this idea that like whatever challenges you're facing right now in life um, be it work personal whatever they may be you will be able to deal with them there's never a challenge you can't overcome it's just that you most likely will have to evolve and as you said go out of your comfort zone in order to overcome that challenge and a lot of the time that's a hard difficult process uncomfortable scary but then you come out the other side of it and then you realize like wow that was you know it felt difficult it was difficult but then I got through it imagine what else I could do and like that mindset I feel is like very powerful to be in because it's like if you can stay in that Skies that limit as far as what you can achieve, then it becomes more about okay, time versus resources versus you know, the, the, the and these are things that again can be overcome. Like, I, I look at things a lot like that now. It's never a case of can I do it, it's well, when can I do it? Well, what do I need to do it? Like, yeah, that's a powerful, yeah, and no, I being.
1: think, um the challenge is that you always have to give up something yeah sometimes you have to give up a lot of things or even everything everything let's let's call it everything um and that is always very very uncomfortable but i think or something that i have discovered makes a difference is when you learn about um meta emotions meta emotions are emotions that you have about your own emotions so for example um let's say you have to go to a meeting and you you're nervous Uh, you realize that you're nervous you're thinking oh and on top of what had me worry before now i'm also nervous that makes me very nervous and i'm always very nervous so that makes me very angry because i don't want to be a weak person who's always very angry and because I'm now angry, it means I'm not a person who's in control of their emotions. So now I'm even depressed. So you have you no. Know, it all started with a little thing, but it got amplified because all the emotions you had about your own emotions, and it's it's natural because that's how we are as human beings. But I think becoming aware of that and uh, maybe even practicing to notice notice these uh, patterns uh, helps a lot. And so hopefully that helps you just stay nervous or just be generally a little bit anxious without going all the way to the point where it becomes, where it feels like an existential threat or where it's truly hurting you.
0: I never realized there was a word for, (laughs) or a particular way to describe this sensation, because I think we've we've definitely all experienced this. I know I do, often. (laughs) I don't realize there's a specific term for it. Meta emotions, learning something new every day. Thank you for that. A couple of final questions for you to kind of like, round things off these are questions i ask every guest completely unrelated to today's conversations what's the biggest mistake you've learned sorry what's the biggest mistake you've made that you learned a valuable lesson from
1: um hmm, yeah I, i think it's a mistake i keep making um but it's sometimes it's it's a mistake to be patient um sometimes you, you you try something and you want it to work uh, and that clouds your judgment so you give it a lot of time or resources or whatever it is until you actually get to that point where you're saying no this is this doesn't work i'm going to stop this whatever it is i think that's a trap that uh i fall into quite often i think most people do from what i see and that costs a lot of time and energy because it's such a recurring trap it you know, it's away a lot of your your energy and your time, which is very limited. Um, and I've learned from this, and I'm better at it. But I'm still practicing, because, and I think that I think that the horrible thing is that it feels to me, at least, uh, as if this is getting more difficult. Actually, or the challenge is becoming bigger, because um, the world is becoming so much more complicated and confusing, and then it's difficult to say this is bad. This doesn't work. It doesn't deliver the results because you can always sort of find an excuse for it. But also it's difficult to, to really measure it and to say, I, I'm, I can be sure that it's bad. So I'm going to stop it.
0: Um, I think it also yeah. kind of brings um, a difficult question to ask oneself as well. It's like, now I'll preface this by saying like, I don't believe in giving up like overall you know, like, I think you should always try to pursue things and not let life deter you or whatever. However, I will add to this, <laughs> there are certain points in life where you have to kind of draw a line under things and realise, okay, this thing is not working. And, and as you said, you're, you're spending time and resources on that thing. Um, you have to know where to kind of draw the line under that. And that can be a difficult conversation to have with oneself like where where do I call it quits on this particular thing am I ready to do that especially if you've spent the better part of several years on that thing that can be crushing but then I suppose a good, a good another question to ask yourself on top of that is well how much more time do I want to waste on something that may never work and when you start looking at it like that like it because that's the thing like it's you can turn negatives into positives it's like okay well this thing didn't work but then maybe that's opening the door for the thing that will work you know that's the way i try to look at it and yeah granted maybe it is not completely grounded in realism but that positivity leads to motivation leads to enthusiasm and ultimately will lead to success if you keep pushing but you know it's very easy as you said to fall into that trap of of like something not working you keep pushing you keep pushing you keep pushing and that's a tricky, yeah. one. <laughs> a tricky and one i think down.
1: that uh, usually happens um, for example when you feel like that's the only thing or the, the only method that could work and so you're thinking if not this then what there's no alternative well It always looks like there's no alternative. Maybe there isn't. Then you should be something entirely different. Um, um, But then there's also um, that bias where it seems like other people doing that thing uh, or that method or whatever it is, uh, like it works for them because we have such a deceiving culture where everything is fake. And then you also want, and so you're thinking, well, if everybody else has this and it works for them, it doesn't work for me. All I have to do is keep doing this, but I think this is the biggest trap. but uh, you you preface this rightly with saying, well, you shouldn't just give up. Everything that is worth having requires a lot of persistence. Um But I think a good technique here is to uh, sort of study whether which course of action feels better and easier. And uh, because sometimes, you know, just sticking with something that you're used to, even if it's horrible, is easier. And oftentimes the thing that feels less uh, nauseating and you know more difficult and so on might be better but if, if you're giving something up for something that's more difficult uh well then you're not seeking uh you know a comfort zone you're getting out of your comfort zone so it's not that you're giving up on something you're actually attempting to do something that might be even more difficult so so that that's i think how you can avoid giving up just for pleasure or for the sake of uh having a little bit of peace but i think that's the biggest challenge
0: and that's that's amazing as well when you really look at it if you've got a thing that's not working out and then you go for (laughs) something bigger than that i mean and then you succeed i mean that almost negates the issue you had previously it's that well who cares i achieved something even bigger this is this is huge yeah Yeah, this um, uh, this,
1: this is why we have a lot of poor systems and horrible interfaces because when you design you work based on some assumptions and perhaps it works for a while. And then you get to a point with the interface where you cannot get it to also do this or to also work well in this particular situation. And then you're trying to fix it. Sometimes it works, other times it just doesn't. And so you're then at a point where you have uh, two options, either just accept it, say it's it's great in some situations, in others it's bad. Uh, Or you can go back to the drawing board and. Try to come up with a better concept but that means you also have to give up all the work you've and all the solutions you've put into the rest and that's where some teams always choose the compromise and then you have something that doesn't work and other teams that uh, are prepared to, to really suffer for months to finally get to that point where they can say well now we have something that works in all the cases
0: what's the best advice you've ever received
1: um I'm not sure it was advice, um, <laughs> but w- when I was young, it was a reaction, but okay. uh, when I was young, I was uh, very stressed, you know, I was starting a company and all of that. My life felt very improvised. Um, everything was difficult. So I was very stressed. And um, I met with uh, an old guy who I knew, I mean, he was old at that point um, and I hadn't seen him for a few years. He's an older electrician. Let's say very like his his life wasn't eventful by those standards that he would use in today's meeting. You know, he he wouldn't have had a great LinkedIn profile, let's call it that way. But he was always eager to learn and a very wise guy. And so he was she just asked me, he just asked me how are you? What's life like? And I thought you you know what, it's not that bad, it's it's okay, but I'm very stressed. I'm I'm just stressed all the time and it's, it's it's horrible. I don't know. I'm tired all the time because I'm stressed. And he said, you know what, Dennis, when I grew up, there was a famine. Then we had a war. It was a very, very bad war. Uh, My parents died and then we were deported and we lived in horrible conditions for a long time. And then we moved to a country that didn't love us and um, so on. I don't know if it was an easy life, but I can tell you something, nobody, absolutely nobody was stressed. And that somehow, but he, you know, because he said it in such a genuine way, I figured, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be stressed. Maybe this is just what life is like. Obviously a lot of people have a much more difficult life, but just having this meta emotion of I'm stressed about all of these other emotions and of all of these other things I'm I'm having to do, and uh, that sort of almost cured me so it was very good advice i suppose i don't
0: know i suppose as well you could sort of pull from it just just go with the flow like you know yeah maybe this is just what life is life throws these challenges um there is something to be said for and i i try to tell people this all the time like don't cause unnecessary st- stress for yourself like there is stress there are things that are stressful but then there's no point sitting and stressing over said stress. <laughs> like that literally is a waste of your time and energy. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. will be achieved with that. Um, but again, it is easier said than done as well because, you know, feelings materialize, they just happen. It's not like we choose. It's not like I sit down and go, Oh, well, I'm, I'm choosing to be stressed at 12 in the afternoon. Like it <laughs> doesn't work that way. But, um, but yeah, no, it's definitely something that we all do and i suppose we can all try not to do that yeah what's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far
1: um let me try to formulate it it's it's difficult um but um one of the ideas in this life lesson is that um people aren't as great as we think. And by great, I mean, they're not really as capable as we think. The, the human animal is a very fragile thing that doesn't really work really well and it cannot really do as much as we try to make it do. Whether this applies to ourselves or perhaps our partners or our friends or our the people we work with, um, the people who we encounter when we just know, buy a coffee and so on, they're all underperforming because I think there's being asked too much of people. Um and so with that in mind it's not a miracle that nothing really works that well and the world is in in a constant state of chaos and it looks like it's going to explode any minute because that's what it is like because that's the best we can do for now of course we've made a lot of progress um but then with that comes also the point that anything that is good or beautiful or nice or whatever positive way you want to describe something um, it needs to fulfill a lot more criteria than something that is horrible or bad and so it's very very difficult to come by something that is good because it's very unlikely that it can exist in you know this state of chaos and so that makes everything that is uh, good very difficult to, to attain but also very precious so I think anytime we anytime we see something that we like, we should treat it as something that's very, very precious. But also when we're trying to create something that is positive, we should be very patient, realizing that it's... You know, we, we might be able to, let's say, force into existence 20 of the criteria that are needed for it to be nice and to exist, but perhaps it needs 60. And so with that in mind... um you, you can see that it requires a lot more work and perhaps the contribution of a lot more people. Um, and you shouldn't necessarily expect it to happen. But, of course, understanding the, the, how precious positive things are, um, you would see that it's still worth trying to make them come about. It's just that you have to be prepared to make, make the sacrifice of trying it many, many times, uh, understanding that maybe you'll never succeed. But it's still worth doing it because if sufficient people work in this way you're going to have a better life and today we are the people who have a better life because of all the millions of people who have sacrificed a lot before and they have sacrificed a lot and they have done it for us even though they don't know us personally i think a lot of people have thought about things in this way and then really you know given up on their comfort and even some have made uh, huge sacrifices and so we would directly benefit from that by virtue of being able to talk to each other here of being moderately healthy, at least having food and all of that, I think, is a miracle even. So that, that, that's the life lesson I think I'm trying to uh, go by long term.
0: Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for sharing. Some, yeah, some really great stuff there. I, I could not agree more. Uh, final question for you. Do you have any upcoming projects or final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Um, I don't have any big announcements to make. Um, just our work can be seen on our website, creativenavy.com. There we actually share some case studies in depth. We, we try to show as much as we can, not just say that we've done something. And I think um, some people might find those interesting Um If you're trying to build things, you could see even deliverables in there. And uh, I personally find it very helpful to see deliverables that others create because that tells me something about how they work and I can perhaps incorporate it into my work, even if I'm not in the same field. But that's about it.
0: I'd like to say a massive thank you for appearing on the show. It's it's been an absolute pleasure picking your brains about UX and UI and just also just life in general, like just a real pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me as well.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Thank you so much, sir. And to all the listeners of the Christian Marie podcast, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, as I said at the beginning, please leave us a review on Podchaser, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you listen to the show, please leave us a review, please share, spread the word. It really, really helps us out. Thank you so much. Also, make sure to go subscribe and support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Christian Reeve. Make sure you go check out Dennis's work. It's fantastic stuff that he's doing. And uh, thank you so much for watching and listening. Until next time, be safe, be well. I'll see you in the next one.